Companions are for Apollo. This is your host, Akash. Um, so this is part two of our continued little series here. Um, yeah, I admit the past two weeks I didn't record, so maybe it'll be a little more like on a uh, bi-monthly basis for episodes. Um, it's kind of hard to keep up every week with, um, you know, college, visiting my parents um, every couple weeks, uh, you know, breaks and classes on that stuff, so I will probably, probably cut down and, like, try and do weekly to maybe doing, like, a bi-monthly thing. Um, so today, so if you remember last week's, um, not last week's, but most recent episode was about, um, kind of the basics of, uh, polytheism with regard to, um, rituals, basically. Uh, no, wait. Shit, that was the wrong thing. <laughs> no, 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 not rituals. Um, altars. Uh, how to set up an altar. Um, the different ways people organize theirs. Um, today it's going to be about rituals, like I just said <laughs> incorrectly. Um, so, let me kind of start out by saying that, as you all know from many previous episodes, I was raised Hindu. And in my very Hindu family, um, Rituals are very, very important. Ritual, ceremony, um, my dad does a lot of very regular, uh, other, like, very, like, constant, consistent, um, rituals and stuff for, um, different gods and stuff, uh, back at home. Um, here I don't do that because I'm not very interested in, I guess, what you would call mainstream Hinduism in a way. Um, I'm like such a hamster, don't I? <laughs> um, but with regard to uh, polytheism, rituals have been important since the beginning. Um, yeah, I prefer to do a little research before these episodes so I don't say anything dumb. But um, I was reading up today uh, from a site called Labyrus, uh, L-A-B-R-Y-S. Um, they have like a bunch of different resources and stuff regarding polytheism. Um, worship. Uh, that being said, it's a little bit, yeah, it's probably our opinions are a little iffy, um, especially with regard to gender roles and stuff like that, and of course, you know, they're not perfect, they're not going to get every single thing right, but it, it's a good starting place. Um, the site you'd want to go to would be www.labrys.gr. Um, they're pretty okay for, I think, beginners. Um, they are, you know, like, their primary, uh, uh, base is in Greece, so they have a bit of a different take on it, um, and me being in America and being Indian and raised Hindu, I have a different, you know, perspective on things too, so, um, there's gonna be a lot of, you know, conflicting information maybe, uh, or maybe just, uh, differing information that you kind of want to, like, keep, tra- maybe not keep track of, but at least be on the lookout for and understand the differences and why they're different and then choose for yourself how you want to um, organize uh, your worship and stuff like that. As for uh, the concept of rituals themselves, itself, it's, um, it's common to many different religions, of course. Every single religion has some kind of ritualistic behavior. Uh, that's a big, big basis of um, modern human ritual. Oh, sorry, modern human religion. Um, 
ancient times, of course, there would be many different practices within religions themselves. That's that's true even for today. Um, but the thing is, different religions, you know, participate and use rituals differently. So for Hinduism, especially in modern times, a big use for rituals is to request things from the gods, um, whether it's more money, a better job, a good spouse, um, for, you know, children, um, for a better home, or for safety, um, or, you know, for your children, uh, good studies and good grades like my parents do. Um, so that, that's a very complex thing, especially because Indians spend actually a lot of money on, um, buying the items and, uh, I guess, you know, uh, food and flowers and stuff that's necessary for rituals. A lot of our flowers in India are actually used only for rituals, and they're often wasted, which is kind of a tragedy, um, because it's so much harvesting work that these people, you know, the, the people harvesting the flowers have to do in order to get those flowers to the general public. Um, and a lot of it goes down the drain because they don't ever reuse that stuff. It's kind of the concept of, you know, like I mentioned previously, don't give your guests rotten food from like the previous day if they're coming to your house. You have, you want to give them fresh fruit, fresh, you know, food to eat, right? Instead of giving them old leftovers. Similar way, um, you don't want to give the gods old dirty flowers that you've already used. Um, that being said, it's kind of a different thing. Um, India has a very big issue with religious conservatism and all that kind of stuff, but I'm not going to get into that because that's not what this episode's about. It's about rituals. Um, but in Hellpole, it's a little bit different. Hellpole, um, well, how do I say this? Like, the research that I've done, um, rituals happen on two levels, right? First, there's the domestic level, meaning within the home. Um, in Greek, I think it'd be oikos. Um, what's the formal word? Yeah, so oikos would be referring to the household. Um, household worship uh, was primarily run by the father of the family, the eldest man, most likely, um, or the eldest son. And, of course, there would also be actually quite a few more rituals from what Labyrinth says that would be led by the women of the household, specifically to um, maintain, you know, good health and good blessings for the family currently and in the future, um, for good harvest and fertility if they run a farm, um, you know, uh, for the happiness and health of their children, um, if it's a new, like, newly, group of newlyweds, um, different, different reasons to worship within the home. Um, and different, different reasons to be, to have that worship be led by either the husband or the wife. Um, so generally in ancient Greece, from what Labrys is saying, this is primarily how it was organized in ancient Athens. That's, that's the primary topic for, um, that's the primary city-state they mentioned for household worship. So that's kind of the one I'm going to be talking about. I don't, I didn't have a chance to look at too many other sources, um, because I wanted to record soon enough that it wouldn't be, like, Sunday evening before Apollo, because that kind of defeats the whole, like, theme, you know, in the title. 
would work generally. Um, and even today, many uh, Hanuk polytheists um, and Hellenes who still follow the old religion, um, what they do is they start by making the first offering within the ritual to Hestia, who is um, the goddess of the hearth, the goddess of the home. Um, so, according to Labrys here, uh, Hestia is the goddess who bestowed upon humanity the knowledge of the Oikos. Therefore, she is the goddess who governs the family worship. Her worship is of a primordial essence, and its origins have been lost within the depths of time. And according to the Homeric Hymn number 29 to Hestia, uh, lines 4 through 6, Because without thee, mortals do not have banquets, and one does not offer the first and last libation to Hestia of honey-scented wine. So, I think what this means is that um, in ancient times, especially because wine would, I think, be watered down, actually, quite often, um, and wine was a very common uh, offering in, in uh, household and, you know, citywide worship, the first and the last offerings always go to Hestia, um, because if we look at um, the myth for Hestia's birth, and or origin story, if you want to put it that way. It's so weird to say it like that to me. Um, if we're talking about kind of Lady Hestia's origin, um, she's the oldest of the Olympian siblings. So she was the very first child born to um, Queen Rhea and Lord uh, Kronos. However, if you remember, after Kronos started eating all the children, um, because, you know, he didn't want them to dethrone him. Um, she was the last one to be freed by Zeus after he, you know, cut his father open and then uh, saved his siblings. In that way, Hestia is, at the same time, the eldest, and if we consider being, you know, ripped out of your father's stomach, birth, um, you know, she's the first and the last child of the Olympians. So in that, I guess, line of thought, probably, probably, that's the key word here, um, she would receive the first and the last um, offerings um, in household worship. The second would always go to, um, ooh, come back, where'd it go? Ah, Zeus, come back. This website is chaotic. Hard to like scroll on this thing. There we go. Zeus, Cassius, uh, I believe. Um. So apparently, it means he who takes care of the prosperity of the Oikos. So it's kind of basically the that. They're calling on Zeus to be the protector of the family's goods, um, and he, this for this specific epithet of Zeus, um, his altar, his area of worship is actually situated in, according to um, Labrys, um, is commonly situated in the storage area of the Oikos, frequently a separate building, where he was honored with libations. Uh, da, 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 that's kind of a long sentence. Um, those are really long sentences. I don't feel like reading all that, especially because it's like I want to keep these episodes short. Um, 
Okay, so according to Antiquities 140, F22, I don't know what that means. It is necessary to make the symbol of Zeus Catavius. We take a new Catisco with two ears, through which we thread white wool and yellow crocus thread, which we take over the right shoulder so that it hangs in front. We then put in hangs in front. We then put anything we find in ambrosia in it. Ambrosia is pure water from a spring, an oil and all fruit. This we put inside. So I guess it's kind of um small bucket um, that I think is uh, identified as, oh, so it says right after, right after that um, that constitutes the substitute for, for the altar is identified with Zeus Catavius um, so I guess in place of formal altar like you have in um, a different area of the home or near the hearth itself, you'd have the catiscos um, in the storage area. Um, um, and the third part, I don't, I don't want to like cut it all too short, but like, um, we've kind of gone over the first two parts, right? The first and last libations would always go to libations or offerings would always go to Hestia. The second would be to Zeus Catavius, and the third would be for uh, Hermes, Hecate, and Apollo. So according to Lebers here, they're, um, they say that these three would share Aegeus? A I don't know how to pronounce that. A-G-Y-I-E-U-S. If any of you knows how to say that, please tell me. Um, they all would fall under that um, epithet, I think, as protectors of the home, generally. So here, uh, in, a, in you know, an ancient Greek home, they'd actually have their altar uh, kind of... Um, so it says here, Hence at the outer fence of the oikos and at the gate of the fence, the worship of Hermes, Hecate, and Apollon, with the epithet Aegeus is placed. So, outer fence, so the gate of the fence. So I guess, kind of at like, the bigger fence surrounding, like, near near the gate of the bigger fence surrounding the home, that's where you would have the, um, uh, what's it called? Like, the altar for these three deities, the protector of the deities. Um, Edmus would obviously be the god of boundaries, um, of situated lines and areas. Uh, Hecate would be the goddess of, um, crossroads. And, uh, Apollon, they don't actually say here, I don't believe, but um, Apollon is kind of a general protector. I mean, his one of his specific epithets, I'm not sure if it's an epithet actually, but he is named um, a god of the protect protection of young boys. Um, but he is generally a very, like, protection-like, I don't want to protection-like figure, but protective figure. Um, in many of his myths and stories, he is taking the side of those who need to be saved, those who need to be, um, guarded against the evils of the world. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is, um, during the, uh, story of the Trojan War, um, the Greeks end up kidnapping a daughter of one of, uh, Paulin's priests, uh, from Troy. And, uh, at this offense and at this, you know, girl's defense, he lays down a plague on 
Um, eventually they release her and she's able to go back to her father. Um, there's other instances, of course. Uh, he was the one who raised, um, Chiron. I'm not sure how you actually say that in proper, you know, Greek pronunciation, because I've only ever heard it from, like, movies and stuff. Um, but he did raise Chiron himself, um, and helped him kind of, like, become, become his own teacher for, uh, different heroes and demigods and such. Um, so Apollon has always been a very, uh, has been kind of the god to go to when you need protection in general. Of course, that, that's true for all the gods, but, um, just based on many of his stories, that's kind of how he does things. Um, they don't really name a true reason for having, or a true explanation of, uh, Apollo's, uh, epithet of Aegeus here, but it's just a general protective kind of idea, especially because he's also a god of, you know, plague and healing, so I'd assume it's also good for the protection of the family's health and well-being. Um, and then the fourth thing, oh my god, this website, yeah, the fourth thing they mention here, or, yeah, so the fourth thing they mention here, I can't remember, like, how many heads have been finished, um, they mention for, uh, ritual worship would be the ancestors of the family. Now, they don't actually have much info here. Um, all they say is that, as has been, has, as has already been mentioned, the oikos has a broader meaning and includes the ancestors, especially when considering the worship aspect. Thus, when we speak of household worship, there are two distinct categories of worship: the worship of the hearth gods and other honored gods, and the worship of the ancestors. So, yeah, it really doesn't go into much detail here, but I know in, in most cultures there is some form of ancestral worship. Excuse me. In my uh, family's religion of Hinduism, um, we actually have a practice where yearly for my um, great-grandfather on my dad's side, we will actually do a ritual um, in my native language of Telugu, it's called Didi, and it's kind of a uh, renewal of worship. I don't know what exactly the process is, like how to explain it, but it's done on a yearly basis. Every single year, at this, around the same time, um, we do a ceremony for him, honor him, um, and his passing. Uh, they'll do a much bigger ritual back in India. Um, where my grandfather, because this was his father, um, and his, and my grandmother will, you know, get uh, a priest, um, they'll do a bunch of different activities. I've never been an active participant in these, um, I'm, <laughs> I've never known what exactly happens or how it happens, but my point is that we also do a lot of ancestor worship, um, especially for, you know, relatives and stuff like that. Um, I know if y'all have seen the uh, movie, like the Disney animated film Mulan, um, you'll notice that there have been uh, a, a couple of scenes, many scenes actually, that involved Mulan's ancestors, and at one of them, after her um, matchmaking uh, fiasco, I suppose, she goes and prays to them for good luck and to help her bring honor to her family. Um, I'm not sure if that practice is still followed today, but 
I know um, in Japan it's very common to worship relatives uh, who've passed on, ancestors, etc. Um, just looking at a couple of the anime scenes, they'll always have some kind of um, altar or shrine for the past um, loved ones in their families. So it seems to me like in ancient Greece, um, much of, especially because they were already immersed in the religion, right? They didn't ever have to learn from an outside source because they were living in it already. They were a part of it actively every single day. Um, they didn't have to think too hard about how to do a ritual, what should I do for this part since I don't have access to this specific thing, um, can I make a replacement for that? Like, is it okay if I try this instead? Like, they didn't have to worry about replacements, basically, or substitutions, actually, would be a better word, um, because it, they had access to all of that knowledge right then and there in front of them with no real break in between, no real, uh, you know temporal boundaries separating um, their access to knowledge and information. That's not how it is for us, right? Because we're living in the modern age. A lot of information has been lost to time or lost to history, um, invasions, war, etc, etc. So the best we can do now is try to do what we can. Um, I know that it's been oh, a couple of years two years now, right, but, uh, kind of, kind of since, no, not two years yet, but close to two years since COVID-19 was first mentioned, even, um, and it's very difficult to keep up with worship and practice and ritual when you feel the weight of the world on you, um, especially because, you know, modern capitalism as it is, it doesn't let us have breaks. It doesn't encourage them. So what happens is that we'll work and work and work and we won't leave any time for ourselves, for the gods, for our own worship or our practice or anything. Because it's so hard to just get through the day that, you know, doing a ritual will be the last thing on your mind. Right? And that's okay. That's alright. I understand exactly what you're feeling. Um, I actually had to deal with a lot of really heavy stuff recently. Um, not just a lack of motivation, but, you know, trauma that has kind of arisen again since the school year started. I've been spending more time with my own thoughts in my own head. Um, and it's so difficult, you know, to just do the bare minimum, right? But there is no such thing as a bare minimum, because everyone's different. So whatever might be someone else's bare minimum, right? Let's say it's doing all your homework an entire day, um, finish with a bunch of self-care, do two different rituals, and then worship for an hour and meditate for 30 minutes. That's, that can be someone else's bare minimum. Maybe for you, your bare minimum could be, hey, I'm just going to say hello to Apollo this morning. I'm going to bathe. I'm gonna get dressed and I'm just gonna sit with them for a couple minutes. That's enough. Or even, or even, you can just say, hey, I'm not feeling like I can even get out of bed right now. So I'm gonna think about Apollo for a second. I'm just gonna let it go. And that's okay. That's absolutely acceptable. There is no one right or wrong way to be a worshiper of polytheism. There is no right or wrong way to your ritual, unless 
you do something kind of gross. And I'll get into that a little bit after this, but just remember that, you know, it's it's not easy to be living through times like this. I want you guys to remember we're still in the pandemic. It hasn't ended. And it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be so, so hard to pull yourself up out of that. Especially after the emotional toll of seeing millions of people die. The emotional toll of having to watch people fight for their right to just live. Um, Protests are still going on everywhere. You know, there's entire areas of countries burning to the ground. Um, There are still corporations destroying lands. um, Putting a death sentence on indigenous peoples. Um, there are still presidents and prime ministers, uh, setting their countries up for failure and full economic shutdown. Um, there's people rioting and rallying against bare human, you know, the minimum of human decency, trying to say, yeah, we want back the lunatic uh, in power that we just got out a couple months ago. You know, it's... It's such a toll on the heart. And the gods understand that. They, it, it feels weird to say it like this, but they're living through this, these moments with you. You know, it's... I'm sure there's been hella polytheists who passed away from COVID. I'm sure there's hella polytheists who lost their lives in so many different aspects of what's happening to the world right now. And the gods are... They, they, I think they know and they acknowledge that we're facing times like this that are... I hate to sound like a corporation man, but they are unprecedented. This has never happened. I didn't think I'd live through historical moments. And not the good shit. This is horrendous. The world is falling apart. That's not the kind of history I want to live through. But we're living through it. And um, sometimes the most you can do is just open your eyes. And I get it. Everyone's had those days. Um, And if the only thing you can offer the gods is hi, good morning, or just a, a glimpse passing thought or just acknowledgement of their existence I think they'll understand because we're all trying our best no one is better or worse than the other for worshipping a certain way and you don't need to feel guilty about how you're dealing with your life um the reason I say all that is because I want y'all to remember that Ritual and worship and stuff is not dictated to be done in one single way. Because even in ancient times, they did it in different ways. That's not a definite, like, you have to do it this way or you're going to hell. Like, they didn't have that kind of a concept. Of course, there were some no-nos, and I'm going to name them now. Um, Keeping your altar unclean. If you choose to maintain an altar, please keep it clean. Um, Don't leave, like, rotting food, flowers, or, like, organic, generally gross organic material there. Maybe clean it once in a while, like, whatever whatever you want, but, like, clean it, please. Just wipe down with a Clorox, you know, clean off your idols, your 
um, pictures or whatever you have, um, maybe set, like, wash off your, uh, altar cloth, whatever you want, just keep your area clean, um, and try not to, I guess, actually, I'm not gonna say that, I think that's, that's gonna put people, people in the wrong head mindset, um, I was gonna say, like, don't leave your other garbage and stuff like that on there, um, but by the garbage, I guess I just mean stuff in general that you use on a daily, like, it's a space dedicated to the gods, just keep it kind of separate, um, not that, like, you have to have a whole other shelf, I don't, I literally just have an area of my desk, but I try not to leave any, like, crumbs or let any dust or other stuff get on there, um, so it really just is about cleanliness, right, that's the only big thing, um, but I, I do hope that you guys have kind of gained something from this episode. I know I read a lot. Most of my speaking was from Laris's, uh text here. But um, I hope that this helped y'all some in some kind of way. Um, I'm just going to give you a little tidbit. Uh, I know for my rituals, generally what I do is, you know, choose some kind of candle, you know, get it lit, um, pick one of the stones that I've dedicated to each deity I worship, um, get out, you know, my, uh, my veil slash, uh, worship cloth here, and, um, kind of just do a couple, I, I tend to, uh, acknowledge Apollo first, because he's my primary deity, he's kind of like the guide of my life, um, and, you know, it's, is. It feels kind of rude to not acknowledge Lady Hestia first, but um, my worship is kind of different, and I kind of do do things my own way. Um, but yeah, it's usually acknowledge Apollo first, um, offer him some kind of prayer, and then to the second deity or the third, if there is a third. Um, maybe uh, I all I. goodness, okay, sorry, yeah, I live in an apartment complex, so there's, like, a lot of noise around here, um, yeah, I, uh, I then tend to, I always try to keep some kind of food and drink on the place where I'm, like, trying to do the ritual, um, just so that there's some kind of proper offering there, um, and then I usually, like, try to say some hymns or, like, speak to them, just say a proper formal hello, talk to them for a little bit, and then maybe, like, meditate, I don't know, however long, uh, they want me to, um, so, as you can see, like, I could keep it fairly lax, mostly because I can't, uh, dedicate a lot of resources and time to my rituals, I tend to keep them within, like, 30 minutes-ish, um, of course, that means I'm usually, like, crying for 15 minutes of them, because, uh, I just get super, super emotional, um, but, you know, like, like I said earlier, there's no one way to do any kind of ritual. Um, now, if you are trying to do something for a specific uh, festival or uh, holiday, um, there are resources uh, to um, kind of figure out what exactly they did in ancient times and if you want to recreate any of those. I know for me, I actually did a uh, summer solstice um, worship thing. Uh, last year, and it was really, really fun. Um, this year, I'm not sure I did anything, actually, but, um, 
there's, you know, there's always going to be new moments, new opportunities to do stuff for the gods. So I say, um, do things at your own pace. Don't push yourself. And if you do want to do a ritual according to how the ancients did it, try your hardest to look for the resources, but do talk about it. If you can't find something, it's fine. Um, manage how you can. I guess just let yourself do as much as you can. You know, no one's perfect, and it's really hard to do some of this stuff. So it's totally okay if you if you feel like you can't keep up or anything. Um, no one's gonna blame you. It's definitely not easy by any means, but um, yeah, just stay positive. I guess. I guess that's kind of my message for today. Just stay positive. Keep hope. It's gonna be fine. I promise you, it's gonna be okay. Um, so yeah, uh, thank you for listening. I know this was a little bit longer, maybe like 10 minutes longer than the previous episode, um, but I hope that what I said has resonated with you and that it's offered you some kind of peace or some kind of relief or even just excitement, maybe. I don't know. I just, I just want positive things. Um, if you are feeling down, it's going to be okay. You're going to be alright. And um, I know that whatever you put your mind to, you can do it. Um, whether it's worship, school, career, or anything else, um, you can do it, and you're gonna be fine. Uh, I guess I will end off with that. Uh, and I will see y'all, hopefully, uh, in two weeks. Alright, bye.